Okay, good morning everyone. Let us begin. So we are going to continue Mirat Hashem today in the Lila. We're going to finish up the section on Lila tonight, or today I should say. Just remember again, just a, a little bit of a recap. This is now our, I think it's our third class on, on Lila and Parakshira. So we've been focusing in this particular section regarding the concept of Emuna and developing a definition, an approach, different insights into the concept of Emuna. Last week we spent, I think, the, the, the primary part of our class focusing on source number seven from the, from the Rebbe of Chark of the distinction between Matan Torah as well as between Matan Torah and Kriyas Yamsuf. That whereas by Matan Torah, Vigbalta es Sahar, there were different levels that people approached Har Sinai. When it came to Kriyas Yamsuf, everyone had the same divine exposure. Everyone had that same interaction with the Shrino. And again, we went through that entire piece, the distinction between intellectual amuna, emotional amuna. Let's continue a little bit along on this journey. So the Svas in number eight has a different interpretation of this. And he says something quite beautiful. Because remember, again, our entire discussion here is rooted in a Pasuk in Tehillim. Tilim Tzadik Beis Gimel, chapter 92, verse 3, the Mizmor Shiliyom HaShabbos capital. So the Lahagid Baboker Chastecha Ve'amunos Chabalelos. So you've spent significant time focusing on the idea that Emuna is tied tonight. Emunos Chabalelos. So the Sfas Emes says something quite beautiful. He says, number 8, Ve'amunos Chabalelos, I'm sorry, Ve'amunos Chabalelos hu, Kishemislabish Bateva, Az Hatikun Ayidei Emuna. So let's analyze this for just a moment. See, everything in this pasta comes down to how you understand the contrast between Boker and Laila. Right? Obviously, that's the contrast that David Amalek is coming to create. Morning and nighttime. So we saw again, many of them of Harsh in the beginning understood that contrast to mean really the contrast between the pre-Messianic world and the Messianic world. The Svasemis does something a little bit different. And he says the contrast is actually between Teva and lemalo min hateva. So for example, says this Fasemis, let's work backwards. Lahagid baboker chasdecha. If boker means, if boker means lemalo min hateva, right, literally supernatural. So how would you understand the phrase lahagid baboker chasdecha? What is Davar HaMelech saying? What do you think? If boker is lemalo min hateva, then lahagid baboker chasdecha means what? Beautiful. It's very easy to see the Rebam Shal Olam in the supernatural. Right? In other words, no one has, no one has any doubts about the existence of the Rebam Shal Olam in the midst of supernatural activity. The Rebam Shalom's power, his prowess, his identity, his presence is all exceptionally manifest in the midst of supernatural activity. So where does the challenge of Emunah come up? The Emunascha Balelos. Ultimately, again, the Emunah, what true Emunah, and again, all the, the power of this piece is to give us a working definition of the concept of emuna. The emunascha balelos, that emuna means the ability to see the ribono shal olam in teva, in the natural world. You know, we say in modim each and every day, we see the modim anachulah, we thank HaKadosh Baruch Hu, and we thank the ribono shal olam for anisecha shebechol yom imanu. For the miracles, thank you, Hashem, for the miracles of everyday life. 
And the stipler, the stipler, says an incredibly beautiful. What does that mean? What miracles are we referring to? So you understand this intuitively. We're thanking Hashem for the miracles of daily life. The miracles of Teva, that which we go ahead and we identify as nature or we identify as ordinary simply because it occurs day in and day out is no less miraculous. So this is really an incredible idea. And remember, what we're developing over the course of this, of this section of Laila in, in Parakshira are different definitions and insights into the concept of emuna, They're not mutually exclusive. My hope is that what you begin to see from this particular section is that emuna is a multifaceted, multi-piece theological endeavor. There's no one definition to emuna. Emuna has many, many different parts to it. And I think the incredible piece is we all connect the different aspects of emuna at different times in life. Just like sometimes we connect more intellectual emunah, sometimes we connect more to emotional emunah, sometimes we connect more to seeing HaKadosh Baruch Hu again in the natural sense. But the idea says, easy to see the Ribbono Shal Olam in the supernatural. But the true emunah comes in Laila at night. Night says the Sasamas, Teva. The natural order of the world. Do you see, are you able to see the Ribbono Shal Olam in the nature of everyday life. Now, let me ask you this. In terms of, so really according to the Sasamas, we'll call it, there's like two levels of emuna. There's supernatural emuna, and there's natural emuna. Supernatural emuna, emuna that comes about as a result of supernatural activity, that's the Hagi Babokech and natural emuna, emuna that comes about as a result of Teva. Which one has, which one is more impactful and effective? Natural, why? I mean, why? why? It's easier to see how the Shabbat It's easier to see how the Good, what else? Why, why? Let, let's go. You have to train yourself to see how Shabbat You have to train yourself. Excellent, good. Let's build on that a little bit. Why else? It's more of a challenge. I'm sorry? It's more of a challenge. It's more of a challenge. And therefore, what? Oh, you see, the greatest proof to this is Klal Yisrael. Right? Klal Yisrael, when we left Mitzrayim, what type of Emunah did we have? Supernatural emunah, right? It was, our emunah was a lahagid baboker chasdecha emunah. Let me ask you, did it work? Did that, did that emunah have staying power to it? Not really, because remember again, it, it's, it's the same tragic story over and over. Remember again, there's miracle and then there's setback. Miracle and setback. So remember again, HaKadosh Baruch Hu goes out and does 10 makas, takes us out, and by the Amsuf, right by the Amsuf, before he splits it, we fall apart. Splits the arms if we get through. Mara, we fall apart. Moshe Avinu goes up, we miscalculate. Build the ego, fall apart. You see, this, this is the incredible idea of supernatural emuna. Supernatural emuna works for how long? For how long? What would you think? Right? However long the supernatural event goes on for. But once the supernatural event is over, is over, then at the end of the day, often the supernatural emuna dissipates as well. As opposed to natural emuna, as was stated so beautifully, when you work on it, right? When you work on it, when you toil on something, in general, in life, anything you have to work on, by definition, has greater staying power. Anything that's given to you, okay, we all like getting gifts, we all like getting things, 
but those are not really the things you truly appreciate in life. The things you truly appreciate and cherish and take the most pride in are the things you work hard for in this world. So while it's beautiful to have supernatural emunah, who doesn't want to see miracles, at the end of the day, that type of emunah does not have staying power. That, that type of emunah, it's easy come, easy go. Right? It's easy come because, of course, who doesn't believe in HaKadosh Baruch Hu when you see the splitting of the sea? But the moment the sea closes back up and looks normal again and you encounter crisis, that emunah is no longer with you. It no longer stays with you. It no longer guides you. Masha'inking, if I train myself to see the Ribbono Shal Olam and Tava, now you understand what it means to live a life like that? That means every single time I see something natural in the world, every single time I see a magnificent blue sky, like we are privileged to have today, and every single time I see that my fingers work and my eyes work and everything else works, if I train myself to see the Ribbono Shal Olam in natural everyday life, then by definition, everything becomes a testament to the existence and the providence of the Ribbono Shal Olam. And says this Vasemis, that's what David HaMelech is saying. Supernatural emuna is great, but the real litmus test or the real spiritual effectiveness of the Jew is emunas chabalelos. Am I able to really cultivate a sense of emuna? in the midst of Teva, in the midst of the natural order of the world. That's the Sasem. So again, a- another piece, so we, we have intellectual amuna, we have emotional amuna, we have supernatural amuna, we have what we'll call natural amuna. And again, the, the beautiful part, the beautiful part about Yiddishkeit in general is, you know, th- th- this is an interesting idea. Hashem Shalval Hirsch brings down in his Sefer Chorev. Anyone ever learned Chorev? I'm sure you've had this in classes past. Right, Rav Hirsch kind of wrote a, um, for lack of a better term, it's like a little bit of like an encyclopedia on Judaism. And in Chorev, what he does is he goes through different aspects of Yiddishkeit, kind of like a Sefer Achinuch. But whereas a Sefer Achinuch is organized according to mitzvahs, Rav Hirsch also does mitzvahs, but also goes according to concepts. He seeks out the concept of prayer. So if I were to ask you, is prayer supposed to be spontaneous or organized? Tfilo. Is Tfilo spontaneous or organized? What would you say? It's supposed to be spontaneous, right? Remember again, tefillah in its original form was not codified. There was no such thing as a siddur. When, when, when would you daven? When would you daven? When you felt like it. And what words would you use? Whichever ones came to heart. Remember again, when was tefillah codified? And Sheikh Sagdalai, the Rambam brings down at the beginning of Hilchos tefillah that what happened, this was actually after the Chorban Bayis Rishon. After the destruction of the first base Hamikdash, so it's fascinating. You know what the Ramam says? Listen to how incredible this is. You had Jews who were born in Bavel, right? Remember again, Godless Bavel didn't last all that long, it only lasted 70 years. But remember, how many Jews went up with Ezra for the Bayashani? Right? A fraction. A fraction. A, a tiny, tiny number of Jews. Jews remained in Bavel. So the Ramam says something amazing. He says the generation who was born in Bavel, something very interesting happened. They were not, they did not master Lashna Kodesh. They didn't master what we'll call Hebrew, but Lashna Kodesh, you know, biblical Hebrew. They didn't master Lashna Kodesh, but they also weren't totally proficient in Babylonian or whatever, whatever, whatever the dialect was. So people had difficulty expressing themselves in, in, in an organized fashion. Now, do you know what happened? You, you ever see sometimes when a, well, let me say it differently. What happens when a person is frustrated in, the, in, in their inability to express themselves? What usually happens when a person is frustrated? I'm sorry? 
They, right, so we say, well, what happens? Let's say, person has trouble expressing themselves. Right, so what do they usually do? So they may, do, they may act, good. What else can they do very often? Scream, good. Right? But very often, what will happen is people will just stop trying. Right? If I can't articulate a particular thought or a particular idea, forget it. Forget it, right? So the Rambam says something amazing. People, people have difficulty articulating themselves to the Rebbe Nusha'olam because I'm not, I haven't mastered Lashon Kodesh. I've not mastered, you know, the foreign tongue of this, of this new land. And so they simply stopped expressing themselves. The Rambam writes that therefore Anshikinesis Hagidola codified tefillah as we have it today. Codified tefillah. This way everyone has the ability to express themselves. But if you think about it, the Siddur is an anomaly to the tefillah experience. Because as we spoke about before, the whole essence of tefillah, the whole essence of tefillah, right? Uh, imagine, imagine for a moment, you go over to someone who you care very deeply about, and you want to go ahead and express your feelings to them. So you write down everything, you come to them in a piece of paper, and you say, dear friend, I love you very much. You are so special to me. You're so wonderful. I like you so much. You do that, right? I mean, I guess you could convey the sentiment, but it doesn't really capture the essence of what you're trying to convey. And yet by tefillah, which is the most intense connection we have with the Rebbeinu Shalom, I'm using someone else's words. I'm using someone else's words. It's not my words. Now, of course, are there places I could insert my words? Of course there are, but Lamaist, it's not my words. It's not my words. Sir of Hirsch says something amazing. Remember, first bracha in Shemona Esrei, bracha of Avos. Why do we begin with Avos? Why begin that way? So, Avos, on a basic level, I'm going to ask for things. And in case I do not possess the requisite merits for God to go ahead and grant my requests, I said, even if I don't deserve it, I am the child of Avram, Yitzchok, Yaakov, Avos. Good. Why else? Why else? This is incredibly important because this goes to the very core of the hashkafa of tefillah. Yes? Beautiful. Certainly an incredible nechama. That sometimes we encounter challenges in life and tefillah is very often a time where we, you know, <laughs> let me ask you, is your mind supposed to wander during davening? This is a tricky question. Right? Is, is your mind supposed to wander during davening? I'm not asking you if your mind does wander. I'm asking if your mind is supposed to wander during davening. So I want to tell you something very important. Your mind is supposed to wander, but it's supposed to wander on the, to the right things. In other words, tefillah is an incredible opportunity to take a step back from myself and to think about my life. To think about my life. In fact, Rav Shem Shnafal Hirsch says a little bit of dikduk, right? The Hebrew word to davin. Lehit Palel. What's the shorsh of Lehit Palel? Palal. Palal means? Palal means? Where, where does that shorsh occur in Chumash? I'm sorry? Naftali. Excellent. Right? So Palal, the shorsh Palal means to engage in the process of self-judgment. Palal, right? To engage in the process of it's hit pal. So the hit palel is the hit pal form of the verb palal to engage in the process of self judgment. So it's incredible, is so tefillah is not just 
a petitional request. I need dun, 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 go, go down the list. Of course, that's part of it. There's no question. Part of tefillah is where I ask HaKadosh Baruch Hu for things. But the essence of tefillah is to engage in the process of self-judgment. How am I doing in life? Well, if all I'm focusing on is the meaning of the words, more often than not, I can't necessarily engage in the process of self-judgment. This is very important. My mind is supposed to wander. It's just not supposed to wander to the wrong things. Right? So in other words, to start thinking about things that have nothing to do with my process of self-evaluation, that, that's extraneous, that shouldn't be done. But to use tefillah as an opportunity to think about my life, to kind of let my mind wander and ask myself, how am I living? Where am I going? What am I doing? What are my goals? What are my dreams? What are my aspirations? What are my shortcomings? What are my shortfalls? What are my strengths? What are my abilities? These are the kind of things I'm absolutely supposed to be thinking about during tefillah. So let's come back for just a moment. So now, why do we start with avos? So if Hirsch says in Chorev something absolutely amazing, Rav Hirsch says, because we often group the avos together, Avram, Yitzchak, and Yaakov, were they the same people? Absolutely not. In fact, you, you really could not find people who were more opposite each other, right? If you were to contrast, if you were to take two biblical personalities, men for now, let's use men as example, and contrast them, who would they be? Avram and Yitzchak. Right? Isn't it incredible? Father and son. Father and son. Yet again, Yitzchak, Yitzchak Avinu's Tachlis, was all about the building of the self. Avram Avinu's Tachlis was all about the building of the other. Right? Yitzchak, Yitzchak, we don't see Yitzchak doing anything his father... I take that back. We find, what, what did Yitzchak do that his father did? He dug wells. He dug wells. Good. That's it. That's it. Everything else Avram Avinu does. Right? All All of that stuff. Yitzchak doesn't do it. Now, there's a reason for that. We'll see in just a moment. There's a reason for that. And Yaakov, Yaakov Avinu also is something just... He's a little bit of a synthesis between Avram and Yitzchak. But he's also dramatically different than his father and his grandfather. Refers to something amazing. He says, you know why this is the introductory bracha to Shemona Esrei? To highlight the idea that although we all say the same words, we all relate to them differently. We may have the same Shemona Esrei. Same Shemona Esrei. Same brachas. Same brachas. Okay. Variations. Maybe Davin Nusach Svarai, Davin Nusach Ashkenaz. Maybe little changes like that. But at the end of the day, we all daven the same tefillah, yet our experience, our connection, our relationship is so fundamentally different from one another, and it's supposed to be that way. My relationship with Hashem is not supposed to be your relationship. And your relationship shouldn't be like your best friend's relationship. Everyone has a different relationship. Baharaya, the proof to that? Okay, Avram, okay, Yitzchak, okay, Avram. Rav Hirsch said something amazing. He said, Chazal were scared. They were scared when they codified tefillah. Why were they scared? Why would they think about this? Why were they scared? What does the codification of tefillah potentially eliminate? Not right? It's not impersonal. It eliminates the spontaneity. Where's my dialogical connection? Where's my conversation? Where's my voice in all of this? To which Chazal then put in, Eloke Avram, Eloke Yitzchak, Veloke Yaakov that at the end of the day, there's a separate and unique relationship that each of us enjoys with the Ribbono Shalom, just like the other. Same words, and we know this, we know this, same words, but different relationship to those words, different relationship to those brachos, and different relationship to the Ribbono Shalom. Again, each and every day, each and every different tekufa stage in life. So why am I mentioning this to you? Because again, bringing this back to Amuna for just a moment, 
what my goal is to develop for you is a number of different definitions of emuna or approaches to emuna, and different things work for different people. And the beautiful part of Yiddishkeit is there are multiple points of entry. This is the, this is what the Rebbeim Why did he give us Tariyag Mitzvos? Why six hundred thirteen mitzvos? A hundred wouldn't have been enough. Twenty-five wouldn't have been enough. Ten wouldn't have been enough. Seven wouldn't have been enough. Six hundred and thirteen mitzvos represent points of entry. They represent points of entry into a relationship. And so Hakadosh Baruch Hu realized we're, we're wired in different ways. He knows that because he wired us, and therefore different things relate to us or appeal to us or speak to us in different ways. And there's multiple points of entry to relationship with Hashem. And you see this all the time. For some people, for some people, the way they cultivate their relationship with Hashem is chesed. Now again, I want to be clear. Just because you find your point of entry in one way, of course, does not exempt you from everything else. We all have the same tariyag mitzvos. But the question is like, what, what, what do I feel is the anchor in my relationship? So some people, chesed. Chesed is their thing. Other people, Talmud Torah is their thing. Other people, every, different point. And that's the beautiful part. Who's right? Who's wrong? It's all right. It's all right. So what does Amuna mean to you? Maybe you're a natural Amuna person. Maybe you're a supernatural Amuna person. Maybe you're an intellectual Amuna person. Maybe you're an emotional Amuna person. And again, you could be one person one day and another person a different day. That's the incredible part. Multiple entries into a relationship with HaKadosh Baruch Hu, which also shows you how much the Ribbono Olam loves us loves us because he wants to give us all the opportunity. He wants to have a relationship with each of us and he wants to give us each something in some way that we can relate to based on our personality, based on who we are, based on our life circumstances. Chalish Baruch could have easily said, there's one mitzvah, there's five mitzvahs, this, this is it. You want to relate to me? This is how you do it. Instead, 613 points of entry. Instead, multiple levels of emuna, so that however we feel we can connect, we have the opportunity to do so. Let's take a look at one more approach. The, if you take a look at number 10, this is actually, I'm sorry, number nine. So the Radak, the, the, the Radak makes, points out something very interesting. He says, if you notice, there is a textual asymmetry in the Pasuk. Why? The Pasuk says, Lahagid baboker chasdecha ve'emunascha balelos. What's the textual asymmetry? Right? So remember again, boker is singular, lelos is plural. So why, why are the, the, the plural of, of boker? Bakarim. Right? So why not go ahead and say, lahagid babakarim chasdecha ve'amunas chabalelos? Why lahagid baboker chasdecha ve'amunas chabalelos? Why the plural lelos? So if you look at the attack in number nine, again, it just points out, balelos lashon rabin. So obviously, David HaMelech is placing a bit more emphasis on the Lelos than he is on, on the Boker. So what, whatever this means, whatever this means, David HaMelech is telling us what? There's more what? There's more Lelos than Boker in life. What, what, a, what a profound, profound statement. Right? Now, of course, remember, these, this is David why, why does it make sense that David HaMelech is saying that? Because this is reflective of his life, right? In, in, Dav, in David Hamelat's life experience, there is more Laila than Boker. Now again, not to say, not to say that David Hamelat didn't have many beautiful things in his life. Of course he did. We've spoken about this before. But if you look at the continuum of David Hamelat's life, there is much more Laila than Boker. There's much more adversity than there is calm. 
there's much more darkness than there is light, which, which by the way, tells you something absolutely amazing, tells you something incredible about the personality of David HaMelech, because one would have thought that a person who suffered through so much Layla would become disenchanted, cynical, upset, jaded, yet David HaMelech, again, is the king of optimism. I always say two people, to me, who are like the ambassadors of optimism, to me at least, David HaMelech and Rabbi Akiva. The two people who, who again, maintain the most overwhelming optimistic life view despite having lives of overwhelming adversity. So the Radak points out over here, Lelos Rabbim. So take a look at number 10. So this is from, so, so this is from the Torah HaMagid. So he writes up here as follows. The Magid of Mesrich. The Talmud of, of the Balshan Tabakadosh. So he writes, This is actually quite beautiful. Perish, Kisha Adam Bebihirus, Rotzelomar Bedvekos, Chazdecha. So the Magi does something very interesting. He says that what he calls Boker and Laila are references to an individual's personalistic state. Where am I holding in life? Boker refers to those moments when I, or those times, when I am incredibly connected to the Ribbono Shalom. I'm connected. There's, there's a connection. What he calls Bebihiros. Behiros literally means what? Clarity. Clarity. Right? I, I, I'm enjoying incredible life clarity. I feel, I, it's just clarity. The, the world makes sense. Akadosh Baruch Hu makes sense, so to speak to me. Right? There's a connection. There's a relationship. He says, in those moments, those are chesed moments. And munas chabalelos. He says, perish. This is so profound. Says the Magid. And what does the Lelos refer to? The nighttime refer to? The night, look, look at these words. Perish Kishadam Lepamim Nofel Mimadrega. What does that mean? Nofel Mimadrega? Falls from his level. The Layla is when I go ahead and I experience a fall. I was holding on a certain level. And then whatever, something happened, and I lost that standing. I was no film in Madrego. And as a result, That's Laila. That's Laila. Now, Laila vis-a-vis what? Vis-a-vis what? Laila in terms of my relationship with Hashem. See, what the Magid is saying is like this. As opposed to beforehand, we were kind of always looking at Boker and Laila, according to the first approach, as like Golos Mashiach, or Boker and Laila, good times, bad times, according to the Sasamas, Boker, Laila, supernatural, Teva. The Magid says, Boker, Laila, is a reference to what's happening inside of me. Not, not, nothing to do with the world. Representing what's happening inside of me. Lahagid ba Boker chazdecha refers to those times in life. I'm connected. I'm connected. I have a relationship with the Ribbono Shal Olam. I feel a sense of connection. The Devekos is there. The Devekos, like David HaMelech says, Acha sha'alti me'ez Hashem osavakesh, shifti be'ez Hashem. Those moments, Bokir is when it's shifti be'ez Hashem. I feel a connection. And what's Laila? Laila are those times where I'm no filmi madrega. At the end of the day, I've just lost, I, 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 I don't have that connection. Why don't I have that connection? Why not? What would you say? When do we lose our connection? Baruch no one knows. Incredible. 
Right? When do we lose our connection? Could be for a variety of reasons. A person could commit an avera; they could lose their connection. A person could be ba'atzvus in a profound sense of sadness; they could lose their connection. A person could not be trying hard enough; they lose their connection. Something could be happening in life. Any variety of reasons. But the light law, the light law, are those personalistic moments where, for whatever the reason, I have lost my madrega. I've lost my connection. I've lost my dvekus. So this is incredible. So So remember again, David Amal says, I don't have to tell you how to navigate the mornings of life, right? The mornings, when it's morning and everything's great and everything's wonderful and you have a dveikas, great. What do you do, Balayla? What, what, what do you do, Balayla? What do you do in the night times of life? And the Magid says, remember, what does David Amal say? What do you do at, do do at Layla? Emunasra, emuna. Emuna in what? Amuna in what? What do you think? I'm sorry? Hashem's Amuna in us, or take it back one step, our Amuna in ourselves. The Maggid of Mezrich says something so truly beautiful. Lahagid Baboke Chastecha refers to those moments of Devekas. Things are good. Baruch is solid. It's great. I feel connected. But then there's Lila. And we all experience those Lilos. And by the way, well, we'll get to, we all experience those Lilos. So how do you navigate through the personalistic Laila? The Emunasra. Believe in yourself. Believe in yourself. He goes on, he says, So just believe. Believe in yourself. Believe that you can get yourself out of this rut. We all experience the spiritual valleys of life. There is no person, no person, who is in a constant state of divagus. There is no person who is in a constant state of connection. There is no person who is in a constant state of inspiration. We all have our peaks and valleys, our ups and downs. So what, do, and that's called Lila. That's called Lila. So what do you do when you're in the Lila, the personalistic Lila of a state of separation from the Baruch Hu? Believe in yourself. Because if you believe in yourself, you'll pick yourself back up. Yes, Baruch Hu, I have to believe in Baruch Hu believes in me. But remember, the fact that Baruch Hu believes in me, that is meaningless if I don't believe in myself. Because if I don't believe in my own ability to pick myself back up, if I don't believe in my own ability to right this ship, if I don't believe in my own ability to just get up and just dust myself off and start again, Baruch could believe in me. Everyone could believe in me. If I don't believe in myself, it means nothing. But now let's loop back. Remember again, the Radak made an incredible observation, which is what? Boker is stated in the singular. Lilos is stated in the plural. Why? Based on the Magid, what would you say? Why? I'm sorry? Because everyone falls. Good. Good. Why else? What does it tell you about life? That there are more valleys than peaks. There are more lelos than bokers. Which, which is such a profound... When you hear it, it sounds like a little bit depressing. But it's actually incredibly affirming. That what David HaMelech is saying is, there are more times... Of where a person is not in a state of Tvekos, than when a person is in a state of Tvekos. And the truth is, it makes perfect sense. 
Because what makes Dvekas, you know, whenever you experience a true moment of Dvekas, a true moment of connection, why is it so special? I think about the last time you felt a real moment of connection, a real feeling that like, I am living side by side with the Ribbono Shalom. We hopefully you've all had those moments. What's so special about when you experience those moments? That they, they're rare, right? They're rare. They, they really are true moments of that level of connection, of what we call Tevekos, of the Shifti Beves Hashem. You know, David HaMelech says, yeah, Shifti Beves Hashem, call you Mechayai. That's wonderful. That's an aspiration. Does anyone actually experience Shifti Beves Hashem? Well, you can in different ways. But those moments of Tevekos, they're so special because they are so few and far between. So therefore, again, that's what Rak is saying. Dr. Melch is saying, Lelos is in the plural, Boker is in the singular. Boker is in the singular. Why? Because again, those moments of Dedekos are beautiful. They happen episodically. Lelos, those moments of kind of a separation, those happen more often. How do you get out of that? Amuna in yourself. So a brand new definition, something that what the Maggi introduces us, this is different than anything we've seen before. Because up until now, we've been focusing on the idea that Amuna means an Amuna Ba'ashem. And we've been focusing on different types of Amuna and Hashem. Now the Maggi introduces us that Amuna really means Amuna in the self. When you find yourself in a valley of life, you have to believe in your ability to pick yourself back up. Question. Correct, but I'm saying I, I, absolutely. If a person was zocha to be on that level, that's a David Amal. David wouldn't have asked for shifty beves Hashem call you if it wasn't going to be beautiful. I'm just talking about the nature of the human condition, and the nature of the human condition is we don't have it every day. It's just the way that it is. We we don't have it every day. So I think because we don't have it every day for us. That's what makes it so beautiful. If a person were to somehow get themselves to a level to have it every day, would it be incredible? Absolutely. Because like you said, the Moshe is infinite. So there's no, there's no vistas in the relationship every day. But I don't think that's shayach for 99.999% of humanity. So yes, you're 100% correct. I'm not suggesting at all that a relationship with a Kaddish Baruch Hu could grow boring. Chas v'shalom. But I think what's incredible, I'll tell you just personally, what I find incredible about this is, I think sometimes we create an unrealistic expectation in our relationship with Hashem. And I think sometimes there's an expectation that's created that the goal is to always be inspired. The goal is to always be in a state of Vegas. And of course, that is an incredible goal. And you have to shoot for the stars. Is it realistic? Is, is, is it realistic? Well, it doesn't, David Amalek is saying, not, not really. Not really. But again, I, I want to point out something very important over here. So what does that mean for our relationship with HaKadosh Baruch If I'm not always going to be in a state of inspiration. So what does it mean for those, what's the relationship like in those moments when I'm not inspired? How does the relationship survive in those moments when I'm not inspired? One word. Okay, you can use multiple words. Right? <laughs> Commitment. This is true in any life relationship. In Mirat Hashem, you'll all be zocha to have beautiful, committed, and wonderful marriages. 
there are times when a couple is more in love, and there are times when a couple is not less in love, but it's just different. It's just different. Life is not one big Sheva Brachas, right? Baruch Shalavai, Shabi Zochet to that. But that's what relationships are. They, they wax and they wane. So what happens? What happens if I wake up one morning and, oh my gosh, I, I don't feel like I felt when we stood under the chuppah. I don't know what, what's happening over here. There's commitment. And commitment means sometimes you feel more, sometimes you feel less. But I'm committed to this. That's what, that, the commitment is the bedrock of every single life relationship. So this is, you want to know what's most special about our relationship with Baruch Hu? That even when I don't feel inspired, I'm showing up. Did we speak about this, about davening three times a day? Did I mention this to you? So I, I've been thinking a lot about this. Because, um, you know, especially in the beginning of the pandemic, when the shuls were shut down and we were davening at home. So I think many of us had the opportunity to, to think about our tefillah experience a little bit more. At least, I would just say, many men had the opportunity to think more about davening than, than we usually did. And, and I had this epiphany that for many, many, many years I was davening, but rarely was my davening like a moving experience. So just to be honest, really was more like, like, a, like a regular Monday morning shachris. I can't say I was moved by the experience. I tried to dive in with Kavono. And again, just to, just to remain focused, not to allow my mind to wander to unnecessary things. But was it, was it moving experience? Was it moving? I could say, I know that I feel moved on the Yomim Tovim, when especially, again, the Chazan does certain Nigunim. On Yomim Noroim, I feel moved. But on a regular weekday, day in and day out, do I feel moved? Personally, the answer is very often no. So what, what does that mean? And then I, I began to think about this a little bit. And that is that perhaps, perhaps, and again, I think this is also very personal, sometimes tefillah, even when it's not moving, is incredibly important because what does it represent? What does it represent? Commitment. I am showing up three times a day. And I'm never going to not show up. Sometimes I'll be more engaged. Sometimes I'll be less engaged. Sometimes more kavana, sometimes less kavana, sometimes no kavana. Eschatani maskir. But I am always showing up. The one thing I will commit to is I will not, I will not not show up. I will not be absent. I will not be absent. I'm making the commitment to be engaged in the relationship. And like any relationship, sometimes it's more intense. Sometimes it's less intense, sometimes it's more passionate, sometimes it's less passionate, sometimes it's more exciting, sometimes it's less exciting. But at the end of the day, I'm committed and I am engaged. That's the notion, that's the sort of relationship. So again, if we come back, let's just bring this full circle. So if we come back, so what the Magid is saying is something absolutely incredible. There are many more Lelos than there are Bikara, than there are, than there are mornings. Because such is just the nature of the human condition. There are more moments when I'm not in a state of Dvekos, Laila, than I am in a state of Dvekos. And that's okay. Because even in those moments when I'm not in a state of Dvekos, I'm committed. So I want to be very clear. The absence of Dvekos doesn't mean that I'm absent from the relationship. The absence of Dvekos just means that maybe I'm not feeling it in the same way. But even in those moments when I don't feel it in the same way, I'm absolutely unequivocally present in the relationship. But how do I get myself out of the rut? Because often we find ourselves in these spiritual ruts, in these spiritual valleys, the emunascha. Not simply emunah and a Baruch Hu, that's a prerequisite for everything. 
But says the Magid, the way to get yourself out of the ruts, out of the valleys in life, is the ability to have proper belief in yourself. That no matter how long I've been in the rut for, no matter how long I've been in the valley for, no matter how much I've messed up, and as a result I'm in this rut, I'm in this valley, I have the ability to remake myself, I have the ability to rebuild myself, and I have the ability to navigate my way out of the valley. The emunoscha, belief in oneself, is where you navigate out of the Laila. So question? A hundred percent. And this, this is a very good point. The word divakus itself is a very amorphous term. What does that mean to experience a sense of connection to the Ribbon Shalom? So, you know, often when we hear about divakus, we think about like spiritual elation, like some type of like, like uber inspired moment. It looks different for different people. Absolutely. The, the idea of working my way out of the Lila. Believing in myself, believing in myself that I get out of Lila, I, I, I would agree with you a thousand percent that that in and of itself creates a sense of Tadekos. Absolutely. All right, we'll stop over here for today. We're going to leave the Ma'ari Naim Emirates Hashem. We'll tie it in to our next section of Parakshira as well. Bye, everyone.